KPIs, KRAs, KRIs, performance indicators. I don't know about you, but it's confusing to know even where to start. On this episode, regardless of how you name it, the common mistakes and the key principles for getting performance measurement right in your organization. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 419. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One key aspect of leadership is, of course, being able to measure performance effectively. And yet it is a skill that most of us haven't learned, and perhaps worse, even if we have learned it, we haven't necessarily learned some of the best practices or the language or even the definitions of all these different terms that many of us have heard, like KPIs and dashboards and scorecards and all the things around performance measurement. Today, I am really thrilled to be able to introduce a guest to you that was really going to help us to navigate making performance measurement much more practical for all of us. I am thrilled to welcome Stacy Barr to the show today. Stacy is a specialist in strategic performance measurement and evidence-based leadership. She helps leaders get tangibly clear about the results they intend to achieve in their organizations and the know-how to recognize if and how well they are achieving those results. She is the creator of Pump, a performance measurement methodology that routinely transforms measurement cynics into its greatest advocates. Stacy is also the author of two books, Practical Performance Measurement, Using the Pump Blueprint for Fast, Easy, and Engaging KPIs, and Prove It, How to Create High Performance Culture and Measurable Success. Stacy, I am so glad to welcome you to the show. I'm really glad to be welcome to your show, Dave. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, me too. Whenever I dive into someone's work, I just try to really get a sense of what is the essence that we can bring here on the show that will be most helpful to people. And I had the very good problem, as I shared with you previously, <laughs> as I got into your work of like, there's too much. <laughs> we can't have one conversation about this. So I, there's so much here and there's so much we could talk about on performance measurement. And I think maybe it makes sense to start a bit from the beginning on what it is. And and for those who haven't thought much about performance measurement, uh, uh, how do you define it? Well, it's an important thing to define, Dave, as you know, we have so many misconceptions about it. To me, measuring is about quantifying things that we can track through time, but not just quantifying any things we can track through time. It's the important stuff. It's the stuff we want to really know how is changing as time goes by, the things we really want to affect, influence, and achieve. And numbers are just such a great way to do that. And that's why we measure. Numbers, in a sense, tell us things that we can't know any other way. You know, like like a lot of leaders will feel that they understand what's going on in their business just by walking around and looking, but they're missing out on a few perspectives that only numbers will give us. Humans, for example, are not particularly good at judging how things change through time. We're very much in the moment and very short term. But numbers can do that for us. They can give us a really strong uh, historical perspective. 
And another thing that, that numbers can do for us is make comparisons a lot more reliably than we do. Humans tend to be biased and have our own preconceptions about things which influence how we make comparisons, but numbers do that in a much more pure way. So measurement for me is about filling the gap in human perception so that we can know with a lot more certainty what's really happening with the results we're trying to achieve in our business. I see the same thing. And it's so interesting to me how when I see leaders get better at being able to use well numbers and measures in their language and use evidence, it is remarkable how much more influential they become in their organizations and in their industries. And to go along with that, there's also a lot of mistakes that people make. And I think one thing that might be helpful, I, I mentioned some of these terms in the introduction, KPIs, dashboards, balanced scorecards. I think most of us have heard those terms before, but I think very few of us, and I'm going to throw myself in this boat too, Stacey, really have a clear set of distinctions around what those things are and just some of the terminology. Could you guide us through just some of the common terminology and what they mean and what we should know? Yeah, there's probably two baskets of terminology. There's terminology that that we need to describe the distinctly different pieces involved in performance measurement and its related activities like planning and improvement. The second basket of terminology is the messy one, and that's where a whole bunch of words and phrases are thrown around and people use those words and phrases, but essentially are trying to mean the same thing. Uh, a lot of people haven't heard of these terms because in their own sector or industry or business, for example, they're used to using a term like KPI and everything that's got a number to it is a KPI. And when they hear another term like a lead measure or lag measure or strategic indicator or performance measure or performance metric, they go, what are they? How are they different to KPIs? Oh, my goodness, we need to define the difference when in truth there isn't a difference. So it's a very, very messy place, this landscape of terminology in performance measurement. So I'm, what I'm hearing you say to us is don't get too caught up in the what word or terminology my organization or my industry is using, but get really savvy here on the overall principles of how to measure well. And and that, I think, leads me to my next question, which is, what are some of the mistakes that people make? Because I've seen all versions of good slash mediocre slash really poor behavior around setting performance measurement, most of it well-intended over the years, and I'm sure you have too. What are some of the common mistakes that organizations and individual leaders make when they're trying to measure performance effectively? There are a few mistakes, and the first place you'll see them generally is in the the KPI or or metrics or measure column of of a of a business plan or strategic plan or corporate plan. And when you when you look in that column and you see the kinds of things that people have suggested are the ways they're going to measure and prove that they've achieved a goal, it becomes evident that there's a repeating set of mistakes, things that aren't really measures. Um, so-called measures that are not measures at all. One of the common ones is initiatives. And initiatives are, again, another word that needs defining. It's, it's it, it usually describes an action or a project, uh, some kind of, they're called change initiatives sometimes, but generally it's some kind of action that has been chosen to improve performance. So if we have a goal about 
improving customer loyalty, then there'll be an initiative in there that somebody might have mistaken for a performance measure. And the initiative might be, we need to implement a customer relationship management system. But that's not a measure. That's um, an action that we're going to take to improve performance. So that's mistake number one. Don't think that your initiatives are performance measures. They're not, because they're not evidence that you've, you've changed anything or made anything better. So it's activity of the organization towards doing something better, but in and of itself, it is not necessarily having moved the numbers, or maybe it won't even move the numbers if the initiative wasn't successful, right? And I think one that goes along with that, as I was getting into the book, related but a little different is events or milestones aren't performance measures either. Tell us more about what you mean by that. They are very related, Dave. An event or a a milestone in particular is about getting something done by a particular point in time. I learned the term milestones when I did a project planning, project management course way back early in my career. And it kind of helps you think through the progression of a large body of work or a large activity, a project in other words. So milestones are stamps in time by which we want to have finished a particular type of activity. So they're a little like initiatives, but a little different. So a milestone might be, we want to meet the um, medical council requirements for reaccreditation by June next year. And that's a milestone. It's saying we want to finish a task by a particular date. These are very, very commonly put up as performance measures uh, or mistaken for performance measures. But again, like you mentioned, they're not telling us has anything changed? Has, has our chosen action worked or not? Has the achievement of this milestone really changed anything? Certainly, we've ticked a box. We got something done we said we were going to do, but it may not have made any difference. And so, it's not evidence of performance. Yeah, I hear that. And as you're saying that, I, I'm, I've seen versions of that listed often as KPIs in many organizations. What's the danger of that? Other than the fact that it's, also, it's not measuring a change, are there other things that are fallouts of that, of not defining that as a, as a clear measure? For a start, you, you only know whether you've finished something on the date that you said you were going to finish it by, and it's just yes or no, did we or didn't we, and big deal. You know, a whole lot of things could have gotten in the way that meant that that date was no longer an appropriate date or that action was no longer an appropriate action to to complete. It focuses us too much on doing, getting things done, ticking boxes, expending effort, and that focus takes us away from what we really Uh, need to focus on, which is the whole reason we chose these actions in the first place, which was to influence something, to make it better, to to improve something. So it does create this strong activity focus, which can end up wasting a lot of time and energy and resources when we're never checking if the activities that we're doing are the right activities, are the best activities, are are, are working, in fact. So that sense of a high level of activity, if, if an organization does this too much, that sense of that high level of activity may falsely indicate to members of the organization, to leadership, that we're making progress when that may or may not be the case if it's not actually resulted in anything, right? That's exactly it. There's a distinction here that I think is important to make. One is about performance improvement or performance management, I think was a term that you used earlier, Dave, which is a good one, versus project management. They're two different things. Project management is about managing the actions mostly. It should link to performance, but it can only link to performance when we've defined that other area, which is performance management, and that is about making things better. So it's getting stuff done versus actually having an impact. Yeah, and I think closely related too is one of the others here I 
see on the list, which is measures of activity completion aren't performance measures. And I, I think we kind of said that already of it's, you know, ticking the box of whether we did or didn't important to know from a project management standpoint, but doesn't necessarily show that anything has changed from a result standpoint. There's another uh, slightly nuanced difference about this third mistake, Dave, about measures of activity not being performance measures. It's very often you might see, I'll come back to my customer loyalty example. If you've got a goal in your plan to improve customer loyalty and what you're measuring uh, for that is uh, the number of customers that are um, added to your customer resource or, um, customer relationship management system every every week. That is an activity measure. It's still quantifying. So that's the mistake that happens here is that we are still quantifying something, but the thing we're quantifying is at the activity level, not at the result level. So the number of customers you add to your CRM, system every every week or every month is not proof that you've got more customer loyalty. So it's where uh, this this particular problem is where we're measuring at to to uh, operational a level, I guess, to to really consider that it is evidence of the of success of achieving the goal that we want. One of the other mistakes you write about is that not effective performance measures are pulled from sources of data. Uh, tell me about that. What's the mistake in sources of data, and what do you mean by that? It's a bit of a shortcut, really, when it's difficult for a group of people to think of, you know, how will we measure this customer loyalty thing? Oh, my goodness. What, you know, we don't have a process to even come up with a measure for it. When they're in that kind of confused state, they'll just think, well, what have we got? What could we use that relates to customer loyalty? And someone will say, oh, you know what? We've got a customer survey. All right, cool. Customer survey becomes our performance measure. And that feels like they've done the job because it is related, you know, customer survey, customer loyalty. There's some connection there. But what a customer survey is, as we all know, because we've either filled one out or we've sent one to our customers or had something to do with a customer survey, is that it is a collection of questions about different things to do with the customer's experience with us and different types of data um, based on the question being asked. There might be ratings that we fill out, you know, somebody circled a rating between one and five or they've answered a question with uh, uh, choosing option A, B, C or D. A customer survey, in other words, is a bunch of data. It's a whole lot of different questions collecting different data that could answer different questions that we might have about performance. It's not a performance measure, but it is the source of the data that could become any number of performance measures. One of the struggles that I really have with this is that very often people will go and create the customer survey before they've even thought about what performance measures they need. So a team will have put together the customer survey. They'll be asking all kinds of questions about on-time delivery, about friendliness of staff, about accuracy of, of service delivery, about how much did you spend with a whole bunch of stuff. But very often, because that survey was designed without knowing the performance measure first, is it's very unlikely it'll have any data in there at all about the customer's loyalty. So we have this goal about customer loyalty. We decided that a measure was customer survey, but when we look at the survey, there is no data in there at all that tells us anything about loyalty. So we can't just assume that we've got a data source and think that is a performance measure. We actually need to define the quantitative thing that is telling us how much loyalty we have and then go find the data that's going to give us that measure. So find that first and then data second, not the other way around, as in just using whatever numbers the organization may already have be collecting because may or may not really relate to what you're trying to do. That's it, yeah. Speaking of relating and defining, the other thing you warn against is 
vague words and performance measures. I, I think I know what you mean by this because I've seen a lot of this too, but tell, tell me more about what are some of the things you see with vague words. The vague language is something that we all know exists in, in, in business and in management. It, it's got different terms. Uh, sometimes it's just called management speak. Sometimes it's called business jargon. There's a term that became quite popular here in Australia, at least um, some years ago, an author, Don Watson, wrote a book called Death Sentence, The Decay of Public Language, and he's talking about weasel words, and I love that phrase. I don't know the root of that word, weasel words, where it first came up, and I know Don Watson didn't come up with it, but it's a very powerful phrase because it describes all those words that sound very important and very sophisticated and very meaningful, but they're empty. They're empty of meaning, and that, that's the idea of the weasel word metaphor is that weasels apparently would want to eat eggs. And so they would they apparently had some capability to tap a little hole in the egg, suckle the, the goodness out of the inside of it and leave oh, the shell, yeah. an empty shell. And that's what a weasel word is. It's an empty shell of a word. And you'll know them, reliability, key, holistic, effective, efficient, accountable, reliable, quality, impact, sustainability. There are lots and lots of them. And people are too scared to challenge them because they think they sound important. And if they don't know what this important word means, that makes them dumb. But the truth is nobody knows what those words mean. I've had so many conversations with leadership teams in different types of organisations, you know, public, private sector, non-profits all around the world. And they all laugh when I bring this up because it gives them permission to say, you know what, I never knew what that word meant in our goal. Even loyalty in customer loyalty, that's a weasel word because we still have to unpack what loyalty means to us, you know, because it has multiple meanings. So when you see these weasel words appear in the names of measures, you know you've made this mistake because people won't know what it is. If people won't know what it is, they're not going to know how to quantify it. They're not going to know what data to get. Yeah. Okay. All right. Wow. So thank you for sharing all this with us because I, I think sometimes the explaining what to do, it's helpful to also look at what are the common mistakes that are made. And I have run into all of these in the organizations I've worked with too. Let's look at the more helpful side of if we're trying to really formulate a performance measure well of what kinds of things we should be doing. And when you see organizations formulating performance measures effectively, there's five key things you've surfaced that you found that if organizations and leaders are really mindful of that the performance measures become a lot clearer. So the first one is a method of comparison that we can use to tell whether performance is good or not. And I'm guessing the key word there is comparison. It is. And this is why the quantification is really important because with performance measures, we're trying to see if change is happening over time. If your customer satisfaction rating is 5.6, it means nothing on its own. We need to to be able to compare it, which means we need other numbers to compare it to. And, and maybe if it's 5.6 now, but it used to be 2.6, that's starting to tell us something. It's starting to tell us that maybe now is better than it was in the past. So this idea of comparison is essential to the very role that a performance measure has, which is about telling us, is something better or is it worse? Is it something, therefore, that I need to respond to or can I leave it be because it's doing really well on its own? So that it's a really simple concept, 
but we quantify so that we can have that method of comparison. There are different types of comparisons. One is the comparison over time, which we'll come to, and another is a comparison of actual performance to a targeted level of performance. So if our customer satisfaction rating used to be 2.6, it's now 5.6, but our target is 8, we know we still have a ways to go even though we have improved. So it, it puts context around the number, these comparisons, and therefore it helps us make decisions from them. That's super helpful for me. And it brings up a question is for an organization that is doing this maybe for the first time or really getting serious about performance measures, and there is not that historical data for comparison, is it a matter of just setting a educated guess as a target, or is there some other methodology that's helpful to begin that comparison process even as you start? Targets are a tricky thing. Um, I think you've got lots of options if you're in, in a situation where you're measuring something for the first time and you've only got that single first point of data about what performance actually is. It might be that regulation or legislation dictates what your target should be. It could be that your customers are, are demanding or expecting a particular level of performance and they're dictating what your uh, target should be. Or you can just pick one with an educated guess or not have one at all until you've got a few points of data to understand where you're currently at and how much effort and resource you're going to need to invest to make any kind of change in that particular area of performance. So setting the target is a, a secondary thing. Actually getting the measure set up and measuring what you want it to measure is far more important. Yeah, get some good data so that as you are using that data in the coming years, you know you have good data from the beginning to start with and that the target mm -hmm. is less important at the beginning. Another key piece is a base of objective evidence that gives a accurate and reliable picture of performance. Two keywords there that come up for me is accurate and reliable, because those are two different things, right? Yeah, they are two different things. Uh, if you can imagine that you're an archer and you've got your bow and a bunch of arrows and you've got your you know traditional looking target bullseye thing 50 meters away from you if you're clever, 10 meters away from you if you're like me with a bow and arrow. <laughs> If you shoot five arrows and they all land very, very close together, that's reliable. It's reliable even if they've all landed very, very close together, but up in the top right corner of your bullseye and not right in the center uh, of that bullseye. Got it. If they all land right in the center of the bullseye, they're both accurate and reliable. So the idea is that when we're measuring, we want to make sure that each time we measure, we're getting a reliable indication of performance. But we also want to make sure that what we're measuring is that bullseye, that the thing that we really wanted to be able to, to measure. So we need both dimensions to this. The objectivity is, you know, ha having objective evidence, the objectivity part of that is that we are measuring reliably that we're not bringing any, any bias or letting our measurement be affected by factors that, that can affect the value without that actually meaning that the result's any different. One of the ways we do this in customer surveys, for example, is we just ask volunteers what they're, you know, to fill out our survey and, and what they think of us. And the problem with volunteers is they're biased. They have a very strong opinion that they want to share with us. That's why they're happy to give their time for free to do the survey. That's kind of like shooting the arrows at the bullseye, but having them go all over the place so we don't have the reliability. The accuracy has to do with the evidence that we are gathering. So if we're asking the wrong question in, the, in our customer survey, we're not going to have the right evidence and therefore we're not going to have an accurate 
measure. So it's a little bit scientific here and a little bit kind of complex to get our heads around those things. But the idea is that we've got to make sure that we are getting the right evidence for the result or goal that we're trying to achieve through our measure. And we're collecting it in a way that keeps it as reliable as possible, that we're not introducing in any bias or, or error or we don't necessarily need to have in the measure. An additional thing you advocate for is a sufficient degree of granularity to detect small but important changes in performance. What do you mean by that? Best way to illustrate that is with an example. Granularity obviously is detail. And the more granular or the more detail we have in a measure, the more it can tell us, the more sensitive it is to change. If you had a thermometer, for example, and you're trying to measure the temperature outside as winter's coming, here in Australia, we're heading into winter, If my temperature gauge only goes up in five degree increments, it's not going to tell me nearly as much as if it goes up or down in in one degree or or 0.1 degree increments. And that makes a big difference for me in making a decision each day because I go cycling outside. And if it's kind of between zero and five degrees Celsius, I'm sorry, we're in Australia, so Fahrenheit means nothing to me. then I know that I've got to wear a certain amount of cycling kit to stay warm and have my hands not go numb. So I, I need that level of granularity in a, in a temperature gauge so that I can make the right decision. And in our measures, we need the same thing. So customer satisfactions traditionally measured in, in a couple of different ways. One is the percentage of customers who are satisfied, a very, very common measure. What percentage of our customers feel satisfied with our service right now? That is not a very granular measure. Because really, you're asking a customer for one of two pieces of data. Are you satisfied or aren't you? Yes or no? And then you're adding them up and and creating a percentage out of them, out of the yeses. The other way to measure customer satisfaction is by asking them on a scale of zero to 10, where is your satisfaction with us right now? That zero to 10 scale has 11 points in it if you include the zero. I like to include the zero. And that is much more granular than the percentage The thing is, with a granular measure, you can detect change over time, smaller changes, much more reliably. The percentage can stay really dull because really anyone with a a satisfaction rating above five is satisfied. Anyone below five or five or below is not satisfied. But you can see that people can move around the scale. They can become move move from a six to an eight or they can move from a, um, a four to a two. And a percentage won't pick that up, but the average will. So granularity helps us make decisions and actually see smaller changes in our measure that we should be able to uh, make decisions from or need to make decisions from. And in addition, I'm guessing that if we do that with a sufficient level of granularity, that we're able to do a better job of what you talked about earlier, which is doing some comparison from historical data, because you can see more of that movement in those trends versus if you just have a yes, no, satisfied, not satisfied, that kind of a thing. Precisely, Dave. Yes. So the last piece is the ability to show changes in performance levels over time, giving us enough context to avoid short-sightedness. So many organizations struggle with short-sightedness, and that is, of course, the incentive system, especially in publicly traded companies, for them to zero in on that, Stacey. Uh, Tell me more about that and how folks should be working against that short-sightedness. It's really easy for us to default to measuring things annually because that's 
how we plan generally, you know, at the end of the year, what change do we want to see? And we don't measure until the end of the year to find out if we had that change. But the power of measures is informing our decisions in trying to achieve that state that we planned for at the end of the year. So showing change over time is essentially about measuring frequently enough. We don't measure frequently enough generally. Yes, you can measure too frequently, but that is a much less common problem. It's measuring not frequently enough that's the problem. We need to measure a lot of things in business, um, either weekly or monthly. And generally, it does make sense to measure a lot of those things weekly or monthly so that we can look at how it's, it's changing and not rely on a single point of data to decide whether things got better or not. Uh, this also relates to another big part of good performance measurement, which is understanding natural variability. Everything varies. You get on the scales every day. You'll have eaten exactly the same thing because you measured it. You'll have drunk the same amount of water because you measured it. You'll have done the same amount of exercise because you measured it. But still, every single day, your weight will vary. A whole lot of factors affect that. And performance measures in business are no exception. But the more frequently we measure, the more we can understand that natural pattern of variability in our measure. And then that will help us understand that when we really do see a, a change in that pattern, then we know performance has changed. And we don't just rely on a single point of data or two points of data to, to say that, that something's changed. So the idea here is measure frequently enough so you get that kind of feedback to really learn and get to know your measure and, and its real signals of change. And I'm thinking about most of the measurement systems I know of and organizations and it's really not that much more work to collect more data and you can always set aside the data if you don't need it, right? It usually is pretty easy to collect more. And if you have it, then you can do a lot more with it, right? It's much easier to take something out than it is to try to create something that's not there in the first place. I love that. Yeah, that, that's a perfect way of saying it. And look, often, particularly with operational financial type measures, we've got the data anyway. It's just how we've sliced it and diced it that's made us measure it either quarterly or annually. And the data is still there. We just produce it monthly instead. So it's not necessarily that we need more data. It's getting more out of the data that we have. So we have zeroed in, Stacey, on the lessons from your first book, which is Practical Performance Measurement. And so just to give everyone some context here, we literally haven't left chapter one. <laughs> like this, this is all in the first few pages of the book, all the mistakes we've talked about, the way to frame it. There's so much more here. And so I'm saying that for a couple of reasons. One is I hope people will grab the book who are wanting to really dive in here more and getting performance measurement in a place where it's going to be able to serve your organization better. And the thing that is great that you've done, Stacey, thank you so much in advance, is you've made the book free for everyone in our audience. And so thank you. If you are looking for a lot more details, we're going to invite you to hop on to a link we've set up where you can grab the book. I know there's a few other things along with it too, Stacey, for folks who want to get it, right? Yeah, I have a little short free video course uh, that kind of overviews a lot of what the book will go into a lot of detail about. So there's that 10 Secrets to KPI Success video course and also my newsletter. I publish a, a new article about measurement every week and they're very practical as well. You know, Dave, even I had no idea what career I was getting into when I started this, but there is so much depth and breadth in this one field of performance measurement that I've been able to write weekly about it for a couple of decades. 
So, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a fair bit of uh, good how-to information that comes with signing up at that link that, that you've got there, Dave. Yeah, it is It is your life's work, I can tell from looking through your materials, and it's just been so useful to me of thinking of how to frame this. So here's where to go. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com slash Stacy, and that's Stacy with an E. So coachingforleaders.com slash S-T-A-C-E-Y. That'll take you right to the page where you can grab the book and all those resources from Stacy. And the other invitation I'd make for those of you who, like me, have heard a lot of these terms have seen KPIs, have seen performance measures all over the place in organizations, but don't necessarily feel like you have a great grasp on this, is I'd love to hear from you on what questions you have coming out of this conversation, because we'll invite Stacy back to maybe dive in on some of the details and even some of the how to define the measures. And I think that would be really fun for all of us to be able to learn together on this. Stacy, one final question before I let you go. You have been doing this work for years. You have written two books, you consult with organizations all over the world. As you've been teaching leaders and organizations about performance measures, what have you changed your mind on? And I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but since you you wrote the story in the book of a time early in your career where you had created this incredibly beautiful chart of, I think it was accident statistics, and yeah. You went into a meeting and shared this data with everyone and the leader in that meeting, and you 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 didn't quite get the result you were hoping for. Would you be up for sharing that story? Yeah, it was a safety measure, and I was so proud of it. This was me, the statistician, fresh out of my career as a research statistician, and I was so proud of that graph. I thought this, for the first time, shows this safety committee that this particular measure hadn't changed in two years and what a revelation that was because now they could really focus on finding the solutions to make this safety measure improve. And the committee chair actually screamed at me. It was really embarrassing and told me I had no clue what I was doing and that the graph meant nothing. And I sat in the meeting in silence. <laughs> and then when the meeting was over, I left and went into the ladies' restroom and just cried. I was so shocked and horrified and, and humiliated. And that was the moment, Dave, that I changed my mind. You asked me, have I changed my mind? That was the moment I changed my mind about that. I realised that what I'd shown the, the safety committee lead was that he was incompetent. Um, there was no way he was going to love my measure because it made him look bad. So from that point forward, I realised how people feel about measurement and how I wanted them to feel about measurement was a lot different to that. So I changed my approach and... It affects every single step in Pump, which is the approach that I created from that point forward to develop measures in a really engagingly way, as well as having them be meaningful and helpful. Stacy Barr is the author of Practical Performance Measurement, Using the Pump Blueprint for Fast, Easy, and Engaging KPIs. Stacy, thank you so much for your wisdom. I'm so, so honored to share it with your audience, Dave. I think this kind of stuff, when it's done well, can really change the world even. Thanks again to Stacy for making the book available to all of us for free. Just go over again to coachingforleaders.com slash Stacy with an E and you can grab that right from her site. Now, a few related episodes to today's conversation. Uh, if you found this useful, I think you'll also find helpful episode 294, how to actually move numbers with Chris McChesney. Once the performance measurements are clear and you actually want to do something with the numbers, Chris McChesney's model and his co-authors at Franklin Covey 
have created the four disciplines of execution. It is probably the most helpful framework I know of. If you have a key metric that you are wanting to get traction on to move in your organization or within your team, those four disciplines of execution are critical on doing that. If you're looking for movement right now and you know where you need to go, may want to even start over at episode 294. Also helpful to you will be how to leverage people analytics with my guest, Jenny Dearborn. She is the chief learning officer at SAP. In episode 323, we talked about how to look at data and analytics from the people side of the business and how to be able to utilize those well in decision-making. And of course, many of those analytics and that data can go into your thinking on how do you create effective performance measures. Episode 323 is where to go for more details on that. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 361, The Truth and Lies of Performance Management with Michael Bungay-Stanier. We talked about performance measurement in this conversation. And in episode 361, we talked a little more on performance management, specifically when you are giving feedback to others, annual performance reviews, ratings. How do organizations go about that? Well, a lot is changing, but not always as much as you think it is. And in that episode, uh, I talked with Michael Bungay-Stanier, the best-selling author of The Coaching Habit, which I know many of you are familiar with. And he shared what him and his team have learned through their research of working with organizations all over the world as they have been teaching leaders more about coaching and what they are seeing organizations doing around performance management. And there's a lot of different things happening, and there's also some clear trends. So episode 361, also a great complement to today's conversation. All of those you can find at the coachingforleaders.com website. You can go to any of those episodes individually, and also you can set up your free membership and set it up at coachingforleaders.com. When you do, it's going to give you access to a whole bunch more on the website that will unlock for you. One of those things is access to the entire library of episodes that I've aired since 2011 with every expert interview, more importantly, searchable by topic. So for example, one of the uh, topic areas that this conversation will be under is strategy. Another one will be data and analytics. There's many conversations we've had over the years on both of those areas, and you'll find all of that within the free membership. Just go ahead and set it up, and that'll give you access to everything. In addition, today's conversation, I've detailed out all of the common mistakes that Stacy walked us through, also all of what well-formulated performance measures have. Those are included on the show notes, which will be linked up in this week's weekly leadership guide. Also, one of the other benefits you receive with your free membership. And uh, finally, you also get access to all of my book notes. I went through in detail in Stacy's book on chapter one. I didn't even, I didn't even get through the whole book. I didn't even get through part of the book. <laughs> There's so much there. I went through chapter one and detailed out all of the things we talked about today. I've highlighted those, made those available to you in the free membership but also all of the other books that I've read of authors who've been on the show, most of them all the way through, and I've detailed out all those highlights, are also there available for you, plus a ton more. So go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership, you'll get access to all of that. And thanks, as always, for listening in. If you know someone who is working on getting better at performance measurement in their organization, please pass this conversation along to them. And thanks if you do. Have a great week and see you next Monday. Take care.